Well, I do want to encourage you, if you've got a Bible with you today, to open it to Daniel chapter 12. We have come to the end of our series in the book of Daniel, and I hope that you have benefited from it as much as I have by studying and going through it. Today we've come to the end of the book and also to the end of the world. I titled today's message, The End of the World as We Know It. Now, you may recognize that as the title of an REM song. I went and looked up the lyrics this week and could not believe that that song actually came out in 1987, so it predates some of you. The song is really just a stream of consciousness. The lyrics make quick quick hit references to everything from environmental concerns to the Cold War to a birthday party and jelly beans. And part of the inspiration for that song came from flipping through the TV channels or surfing through the TV channels. And the full chorus of the song says, it's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. The idea is that there's all of this chaos happening in the world around us, but the distraction of TV makes us oblivious to it. That's why we feel fine. Now, the band said they were actually shocked when they began playing that song in concerts. And because of the apocalyptic tone of the song, they they expected it to be a sort of somber mood. But instead, what they were met with was a party vibe. Now, it is for different reasons. But as Christians, we ought to read a passage like Daniel 12 that we're going to read today and conclude. It's the end of the world as we know it. And I feel fine. This passage helps us see both the horrifying future and the glorious eternity that awaits God's people. Now, way back in the first week of this series, I told you that Christians ought to be both the most realistic and the most optimistic people in the world. We are realistic because we face the realities of this world head on, and we're optimistic because we know that this world is not all there is. Whatever is happening is not the end of the story. So let me now read Daniel 12 for you. This is God's word and this is what it says. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble, such has never been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. Then I, Daniel, looked and behold, two others stood one on this bank of the stream and one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream, how long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time. And that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. I heard, but I did not understand that. I said, oh, my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? 
He said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. But go your way till the end and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place until the end of days. Well, the first three vert, our first three words of verse one say at that time. So a good question to ask is at what time? What time are we talking about? And the answer was actually given to us back in verse 40 of chapter 11, which begins by saying at the time of the end. So chapter 12 is situated at the end of time, at the end of the world as we know it. And out of this passage, I want to highlight for you four things that we need to understand about the end. First thing we need to know is that before the end, there will be great tribulation. Now, I know it's a beautiful day. We're we're in some sense together for the first time in a long time. Why do I have to go and ruin the mood by telling you that there's going to be this great tribulation for God's people? Well, the first half of verse 1 says, says this, a time of trouble such as never has been. That doesn't sound like the future is friendly, does it? And I think it's worth stopping here just as a reminder of the kind of tension we feel about this. Now, sometimes when we look at the world, we are struck by all of the progress that we have made. In some ways, it does look like the world is getting better and better with the passing of time. There have been lots of technological advancements that keep us connected in a better way. There have been lots of medical advancements that have led to improved health care and longer lifespans. There have been economic advantages that have led to greater flourishing for many people, better living conditions in many parts of the world. And there have been points in history where people have had confidence that if things just sort of continued moving in the direction they seemed to be moving, they were going to usher in some sort of worldwide utopia. This was the case after each of the two world wars. But as I've noted before, despite all of the advancements, we are still plagued and beset by the same basic problems. When we do an honest assessment, we can see that the world is a broken place. Last week, we looked at the history that was covered in Daniel chapter 11. So much of that revolved around who controlled what land in what we call the Middle East. Some of that revolved around that particular sliver of land called Israel. Have you followed the news this week? If so, then you know that there have been missile strikes by Hamas, counterstrikes by Israel over that same piece of land. We're still plagued by the same fundamental problems, the same types of conflicts. But it's not just that the more things change, the more they stay the same. The truth we learn here is that there is a period coming that will be far worse than what anyone has ever experienced. The darkness will be greater, and especially so for God's people. 
One commentator said it this way. He said, there's going to come a point in history where it appears that darkness has really won the day. It will seem as if the Antichrist is going to continue forever. It will seem as if the church has been entirely obliterated for there will no longer be any sign of it. Now, I think we all understand that the world is broken and needs to be fixed. But what we need to remember is that before it gets fixed, there will be a shattering of God's people. This is what we're told in verse 7. It says, And I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever, that it would be for a time, times and half a time, and that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. See, it doesn't finish until that takes place. Now, I'm not suggesting that we should get our theology from Marvel movies, but I think it's a little bit like what happens at the end of Infinity War. At the end of Infinity War, things look bleak. Thanos snaps his fingers, half of life on the universe just dissolves, Now, going in, you know there's another movie coming. You know that it can't possibly end like that. But when you watch it, you can't help but feel like evil has won the day. All hope is lost. That is what it will feel like in the great tribulation that is to come. Referring to this passage in Daniel chapter 12, Jesus said this. He said, so when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, Standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation such as, not has, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now. No, and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. You don't want to be pregnant in those days. You don't want to have young children in those days. Before the end, there will be great tribulation. There's a second thing we discover in this passage, and that is that at the end, there will be a final separation. This is what we see in the last half of verse 1 and in verse 2. It says, At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people. There should be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. See, what takes place on earth, what will take place during that tribulation is not the end of the story. Now, you will sometimes hear people say, even smart people and scholars say things like, you know, the Old Testament doesn't really have a doctrine of the resurrection. That is simply not true. It might not be as developed as what we find in the New Testament, But you can't read a passage like this and not see it. Those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to everlasting shame and contempt. Daniel's vision reveals in seed form what we find all through the pages of the New Testament. 
The author of Hebrews says it this way, it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. Every one of us will one day stand before God in judgment. And it's important to understand that there will be a final separation. You know, sometimes we look at all that's going on in the world. We wonder, why is it that evil people prosper? Why is it that so many atrocities seem to go unpunished? Why doesn't God just step in and do something about it? Well, we're not alone in asking those kinds of questions, and those questions are not without answers. Jesus once told this parable. In Matthew 13, it says, He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also, and the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, no, lest in the gathering, the weeds you root up, the wheat along with them, let them both grow together until the harvest and at harvest time. I will tell the the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. You see, the wheat and the weeds grow together for now. God has reasons for letting them grow that way. But harvest day will come, and on that day, they will be separated. Now, if you've read through the Gospels, you know that Jesus told a number of parables along these lines. He spoke often about there being a final separation. In a series of parables towards the end of Matthew's Gospel, he, Jesus tells these parables that make the same point. He speaks about a wedding banquet and says, you know, on the day of the banquet, some showed up who didn't have the right wedding garments And they were separated on that basis. He tells a parable about a a group of young women who went out with lanterns. Some of them had oil for their lanterns and some didn't have enough. They weren't prepared and they were separated on that basis. He spoke about a group of servants being entrusted with different sums of money. Some of those servants went and put their master's money to work. One of those servants did not and they were separated on that basis. He spoke about a king who stood before the nations. And as he stood before those nations, he separated the people, some as sheep and some as goats. Sheep are given eternal life and the goats face eternal destruction. At the end, there will be a final separation. Now, the question is, on what basis is that separation done? Well, the answer, according to Daniel's vision is whether or not a person's name was written in the book. Written in the book of life. Now, as much as it is a a pain in the backside, you had to check in when you came in here this afternoon. According to the government's COVID protocols, you need to register to come to an event like this. And if you are not registered, you simply cannot come. If a person's name is not on the list, we cannot let them in. So, look, my family has been able to come to church pretty much every week since COVID began because they all have jobs to do for our live stream. They work the camera, cameras and the slides and all of that. Now, we're doing things a little bit differently today. We didn't need the same requirements for that we usually do on a Sunday morning, so I did not even think to register my family. And by the time I thought of it, it was too late. They simply cannot come or could not come. 
because their names are not written in our book. So since their names were not written in our book, they couldn't come. Being the pastor's wife or one of the pastor's kids doesn't matter. The requirement was registration. The requirement is having your name written in the book. In the same way, the requirement for entering heaven is not belonging to the right family. It's not having the right background or the right ethnicity. The requirement is having your name written in the book of life. You find this language throughout the Bible and especially in the book of Revelation. Revelation 20 describes the end like this. It says, and I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which was the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. See, the fate of both the great and the small will be determined by one thing. Is their name written in the book of life? And it's not just a separation, but a separation that results in either everlasting life or everlasting shame. Now, this is a doctrine that cuts both ways. On the one hand, knowing this ought to fill us with hope because it means that God's perfect justice will eventually be done. These words come on the heels of telling us that there will be a time of trouble for God's people. All of the suffering, all of the hardship will seem light and momentary in the face of eternity. On the other hand, these words remind us that there is nothing more important than making sure that my name and your name is written in the book of life. So how do we do that? Well, the book of Revelation refers to the Lamb's book of life. See, the names that appear in that book are those who have been washed in the blood of the Lamb, who is Jesus. And the only way my name or your name gets into the book of life is by accepting the sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf. If you have not done that, can I plead with you to do that without delay? And we do that by acknowledging our sin before God, acknowledging there's no way we could ever atone for it, for the offense that we've caused before a holy God, and accepting the sacrifice of his son, Jesus, on our behalf. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And our only hope is to trust in his sacrifice. Well, there's a third thing that we learn about the end here, and that is that before the end, there will be lots of speculation. I almost don't need to say anything about that, but we see that in a couple ways in this passage. Verses 5 and 6 say this. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream and one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream, How long shall it be till the end of these wonders? So Daniel sees this vision, and in the midst of it, someone, an angel, probably calls out and asks, How long will it be till the end of these wonders? Now, there's an answer of sorts given. The man in linen says it will be for a time, times, and half a time. We actually met that phrase back in chapter 7. Most scholars think that it refers to a period of three and a half years. A time equals one year, times equals two years, and a half time equals half a year. 
This would line up with the 1,290 days from verse 11, which is approximately three and a half years. It's also the amount of time that Antiochus Epiphanes desecrated the temple from about 167 to 164 BC. But these numbers in the book of Daniel, they have led to lots of speculation. The three and a half years mentioned here is what has led some to opt for a position known as mid-tribulation, right? So not to get bogged down in a bunch of details and technical discussion on such a beautiful afternoon. But there are different views about the end of time within the Christian faith. There are those who hold to a pre-tribulation rapture. That is, they think the church will be raptured before the tribulation. It will not have to experience all of this. There are those who hold to a a post-tribulation position. That is that the church will go through the period of tribulation. And when Jesus comes back, that will all be finished. And there are those who hold to a mid-tribulation idea. That is to say that the the church will go through the first three and a half years of tribulation and then then will be caught up to heaven with Jesus. And there are those, of course, also who label their position as pan-trib. That is, they think everything will just pan out in the end, right? That's where many of you land probably. But even just laying that out, you can see that there, there tends to be lots of speculation about the end. Is it going this way or is it going that way? If it were clearer you would all be post-trib like I am, right? Something like that. Hopefully you're laughing in your car. Look, Daniel hears the vision and he says he doesn't understand it. He wants more information. He wants details. And we actually meet that same kind of thing in the New Testament. Jesus' main block of teaching about the end of time comes as a result of a question from his disciples. It says, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? They wanted to know what Daniel wanted to know. When will this happen and what specifically will happen? You know, even after Jesus had been raised from the dead, his disciples were still unclear about the timing of these things. So in Acts chapter 1, it says, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And the answer that Jesus gives to his disciples actually takes us to the final thing we learn in Daniel chapter 12. I would just say that I think the emphasis is not so much on the amount of time. I think the emphasis is on the fact that it is a limited amount of time. It's for a time, times, and half a time. Yes, there will be a period of great difficulty. Yes, God's people will experience persecution and suffer, but they will do, for, do so for a time that has been set by their Heavenly Father. Ian Duguid gives a helpful summary of the numbers we meet here in Daniel 12. He says, taken together then, these numbers characterize history as a whole, as a time of judgment and trial. At the same time, they remind us that this time of trial is limited by the Lord's mercy. That its precise end is known to the Lord through, though utterly impenetrable by human logic, and that we need to persevere in faith until the end. That's the message for us. We need to persevere in faith till the end. This leads us to the final truth we ought to see in Daniel 12, which is that until the end, we've been given an important occupation. Daniel says this in verse 8. 
I heard, but I did not understand. Then I said, oh, my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? Right? This is his question. What exactly is this going to look like? And then the angel answers his question with these words in verses 9 to 13. He said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. But go your way till the end and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. It's an interesting answer that the angel gives. I mean, on the one hand, he kind of answers Daniel's question, right? What's going to happen? Well, there will be those who will purify themselves and there will be those who act wickedly. Not a lot of detail there. And then there's this bit about the 1290 days and the 1335 days, but it almost seems like the angel just kind of rebuffs him, right? Twice he says, go your way, Daniel. These words are sealed up. And I think the angel's response is similar to the response that Jesus gave to his disciples. I read their question for you earlier But listen to that question along with Jesus' answer. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus tells them, look, don't be so preoccupied with the exact timeline of when all this will take place and instead focus on advancing my mission. That's essentially what the angel was saying to Daniel as well. Go your way and be faithful. In fact, this is what the Lord would say to us today as well. Look, as Christians, we know the end of the story. We know that there's a dark time coming and that there is everlasting life beyond that dark time. We don't know exactly when that will happen or what that will look like. So the question is, what are we supposed to do in the meantime? We'll look back at verse 3. And verse 3 says, And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. So what do the wise do in the midst of all this? Well, they seek to turn many to righteousness. They understand that their goal is not just survival, can I make it to the end, but mission. How do I turn others to righteousness? See, I think we tend to complicate this. We often think mission is about massive undertakings when it's really just about faithfulness. So our world throws out slogans like, be the spark that changes the world. One pastor reflecting on seeing that slogan on a billboard said this, while some are supposedly changing the world, I've been reinforcing the faith of the Pew Six brother who's battling porn. The Pew 10 sister who's terrified of COVID. The Pew 9 widow who has three young children. The Pew 16 guy whose wife left him. And the Pew 2019 whose faith has hit the skids. 
I've kept busy trying to help my flock survive in the world and thrive in Jesus. You see, our exact mission might look somewhat different than that, but it's really the same thing. It's about being faithful in the calling where God has placed us until the end. If you are a parent, your mission is to raise your children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. If you are an employee, your mission in the workplace is to work at whatever you work at heartily as unto the Lord, not unto men. Your mission when it comes to outsiders is to walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech be always gracious, seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer each person. That's each person you come in contact with. As you simply live in this world, your mission is to let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Your mission is the same as the mission of Crossridge Church, which is to know Jesus and to make him known. Now, I realize it doesn't sound all that sexy, but faithfulness is what God has called us to. Listen again to verse 12. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1335 days. Now, we're not really sure what the 1335 days are other than that they are 45 more days than the 1290 days. But I think the idea seems to be perseverance. You purse its faithfulness to the very end. That faithfulness will be rewarded. And the promise of verse 13 is not just for Daniel. But go your way till the end. And you shall rest and stand in your allotted place at the end of days. See, we are called to faithfulness and perseverance. When we have been faithful and have persevered, we shall enter into our rest. We shall be raised to everlasting life. And this is why we can say, it's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine, more than fine, in fact. Let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you for this great day. Thank you for this opportunity to gather like this in a very different way, but at least together, seeing one another's faces, worshiping you together, turning our hearts together to your word. And now, Lord, with this opportunity to celebrate communion together. God, we give you glory for this, and we pray our hearts would be emboldened to live faithfully for you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.